This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode of Ready or Not is brought to you by Ergo Pouch. Organic, tog-rated sleepwear and sleep solutions designed for babies and kids to sleep naturally. Shop their new Autumn Winter Limited Edition Pouch Tales collection from tomorrow. I knew that being a midwife that I would have a new baby, but I didn't think about how I would be new. I was almost paralysed by it. It got to the point where I physically couldn't go to work. How do I actually do this job now when I'm holding being a mum at the same time as trying to be a midwife? He does the washing is one of his jobs. Often the, the laundry, you cannot see the floor, but I just try and walk away. Welcome back to a regular episode of Ready or Not. Part three and four of the postpartum diaries will return next week, but I'm a bit sick of my own voice. You'll hear it a bit here, obviously, as the interviewer, but the interviewee talks more. So this week, we're taking a break to bring you a regular Ready or Not interview with a brilliant person, midwife, mother of two, and longtime supporter of this podcast, Loretta Hamilton. Loretta suffered from severe HG during both of her pregnancies to the point where she had to take time off paid work. As a midwife, she also admits that she felt like a failure in early motherhood, and it's really interesting exploring this with her. In this episode, she talks candidly about the identity shifts that can come with motherhood, how she prepared for her second pregnancy after being so unwell during her first, and how she and her partner have worked together to share the load. I love this episode, and I know you will too. And if you've been around these parts for a while, I'm sure you'll pick up on this. But the pregnancy that I do mention is, of course, the one with Posey, the baby that is now here. That'd be some sort of miracle if I was pregnant again. But just in case I scare a few people, I wanted to let you know that. For someone that said they're sick of hearing their own voice, I have sure gone on. So without further ado, let's get into it. I'm Lucinda. This is Ready or Not, and here is the kind and candid Loretta Hamilton. Loretta, you say that becoming a mum was a huge identity shift for you. Can you tell us about how your identity changed when you became a mother? It's so huge, isn't it? I think I knew that being a midwife that I would have a new baby, but I didn't think about how I would be new. And, you know, I hadn't heard about matrescence before I had my first. And it was probably only, you know, a year or so after having her that I learned about it. And that whole, yeah, physical, emotional, social, you know, everything changes. And, yeah, it's wild to me that we don't learn about that more and it's not more widely known because I felt that in so many ways and, you know, from from how I felt in social situations to what I wore, you know, I had a crisis of like, what clothes do I wear now? <laughs> Especially in those early days. <laughs> yeah, and your body's different. But I think I just didn't realise, yeah, how much I would change and how much it would change things for me for, you know, things like um, even my sense of identity and how much that was tied up in my work as a midwife. I don't think I realised that and 
until I became a mum and how I thought, you know, I had to be productive in paid work to be valued. The thing that I loved was that I I feel like becoming a mum helped me get to know myself better because yes. it it's kind of forces you to do that in a way because it, yeah. you're so stretched that, you know, your time is more limited and, you know, you get clear on, on what you want from, you know, from work to life to the people you spend time with. So, yeah, it's it's really huge. And you learn a lot about yourself in more the day-to-day of life, don't you? As yeah, opposed yeah, yeah. to just being in that rat race of work and socialising and whatever, you sort of learn about how you just operate in being rather than doing. Absolutely. It's that that slowing down in some ways, isn't it? Because obviously yeah. you're you're busier in a different way, but being at home more, having those slower days, I think you do. You have more time to reflect on that too yeah. and really get clear on what you want. Yeah. Um, so, and definitely so many challenges in a lot of ways that I'm sure we'll talk about. But yeah, I think that would be the, the big ones for me. And yeah. so let's talk about life pre-motherhood. You Ooh. obviously were in the work of midwifery, which is very closely linked, but also not. So I can imagine that in a lot of ways, motherhood can be this really big surprise because you think that you spend so much time in the birth space, but then there's obviously so much more to learn that we don't know about. Before we get into that, I'm going off on a tangent already. Let's <laughs> go to your career life before you had kids. Yeah. So like you said, I was working as a midwife, which was just a dream. I absolutely loved it. I I love working with women and birthing people and their families, but not so much the shift work. That's always been a challenge, but just such a free life as in, you know, I was with my husband from high school. So we've been together a very long time. We're very boring. Um, and we sort of lived separately. So I did my own thing. I lived with my other husband um, about an hour away who was my best friend who's, who was a nurse. <laughs> um, You're like, just to be clear. Just to be clear. I don't have a... <laughs> Two husbands. <laughs> and it was just lots of fun. Like we'd, yeah, we'd obviously work. We worked shift work together and then we'd know catch up for coffees after work with other mid colleagues debrief about work and then Jim and I would see each other on the weekends and you know after that and then we eventually brought a house together and we're renovating did lots of traveling lots of weekends and South America trip and it was just yeah we had a great life we really wanted to we always knew we wanted to have children but we also wanted to have time um, together and just enjoy that part of our life, which I'm glad we did. South America is the one trip we were going to go there for our honeymoon. It's the one trip <gasps> I regret not doing without children. Yes. Now tricky. I'm going to do it when I'm like 50. <laughs> Still possible. We You'll possible, just do it in just style, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it'll be more luxurious. We'll see. I we'll think see it how will. much money yeah. I have when I'm 50. <laughs> yeah. What did being a midwife for how you felt about having kids? Did it deter you in some ways but excite you in others? What was it what was that mentality like? Yeah. That's a really common question, I think. And often they'll say, you know, how could you want to go through birth, you know, when you've seen it all the time? But I think it definitely made made me want to experience it because yes. especially when, you know, when things go well and you see that rush of oxytocin and the whole room is just encompassed in that beautiful oxytocin and 
and you see the connection between couples and and all that love. It's kind of addictive for yeah. you know, a reason. Oh, this is such a nice it? time for you to be talking about this too because obviously <laughs> yes. I'm going to be giving birth again soon. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll just add to your oxytocin. Not too much though, Lizzie. No, yeah. not just yet. <laughs> so I definitely wanted to experience birth and, you know, having a newborn and we really only get a small glimpse into what it's like though. I think, you know, we only see before I had my girls, I would sometimes do the home visits, so dom care, and I love doing that. So you'd do the home visits, but they're only half an hour. So, you know, you see the challenge of recovery and, you know, sleep deprivation and all of that. But yeah, I definitely wanted to. I think the only downside for me was the worry that what if I couldn't have children because I love my work so much. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. So yeah. you know, the thought of what if we can't and then, you know, I, how will I be able to still work in this? And that felt like a bit of pressure. And I certainly have colleagues and friends who have struggled with infertility. You know, it's not we're not immune to that as midwives. Um, and the way that they've navigated that and they're pretty incredible really because I don't know if I could do that. That closeness to the reminder would be so hard. So hard. What about from that career lens? As a midwife, you see a lot of mothers who make work work in different ways, some I'm sure doing it quite cruisily, others pretty stressful situations. So I'm sure you get a broad spectrum, especially with shift work, Mm -hmm. what did that do for preparing your mindset for career and motherhood? Yeah, that's a really good question actually because I look back now and realise how naive I was about that. And again, I thought about the birth but probably not so much how that might look. I knew I'd get maternity leave and, you know, I'm really lucky that we have really great maternity leave and um, as, you know, in the hospital system but I thought that I would be the primary carer and and that's probably about it. We didn't really discuss those roles or go into that before we had a baby and maybe because so many midwives are mothers so you sort of mate, yeah. you were seeing it so much it didn't feel like out of the ordinary yeah and I think when before I had the girls I even at work it, there were a lot of mothers of course but they probably had older children so I wasn't getting that first-hand glimpse of what it's like with little kids because a lot of my friends and colleagues were probably older or the ones with little kids were still on maternity leave. Yeah, of course. Um, so I was one of the first sort of in my friend group. But when it came to maternity leave, I was really ready to have a break. I was feeling quite burnt out. I was having some health issues. So a big part of me was sort of excited to have a break from work as much as I loved it. But I didn't, yeah... I was so naive in in not really thinking about it more than, well, I'm going to be off work for this period of time. And so you eventually fall pregnant with Pippa and you have severe HG. Tell us about how pregnancy went alongside work that is physical, emotional and mentally taxing. Yeah, it is. And that, yeah, it's really nice to hear you say that too because I think often we don't realize that ourselves. We feel like, oh, it's a lot. We're holding a lot. You're holding space. You're constantly on. You're, you're holding watching so mom, much. baby. Yes, supporting the partner and mum and, uh, yeah, and everything that's going on outside the room. So I, I started feeling sick with Pippa 
she was a bit of a surprise. We wanted to have, we knew we were, wanted to have a baby, but I had been told that we would have trouble. It was not a good experience. Um, someone had, you know, a, radiolog- a radiographer had made a comment and said, you won't be able to get pregnant without IVF, and which wasn't true. And I've heard since that, you know, sometimes they do say those things to women, which is not okay. Um, and I was devastated and thought, well, maybe I can't, this is going to be hard. So we thought, you know, we'll just try for a bit and see how we go and thinking that it will probably take a long time and very, very lucky that it, that it actually didn't. So again, you just never know. Um, and I don't think you should give women absolutes with anything because there's so much we don't know. And I think I started feeling a little bit sick around a little bit. Okay, no, it was a lot around yeah. five to six weeks. <laughs> let's not sugarcoat it. Let's you not tell us how it was. <laughs> yeah. I remember we went away to Apollo Bay for a weekend and I was feeling a bit off and on the drive home, I get a bit car sick. So I thought it was just that. And then sort of the day after we got home, it, it started to get much worse. I started vomiting. So is this before you even discovered you were pregnant? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Gee, that's early onset of sickness. It is. It's so early and makes for a long pregnancy. And I, yeah, I did a pregnancy test and I could not believe it actually. And yeah, it hit so early and so hard that I was almost paralyzed by it. Mm. I like I was almost frozen because I I felt so sick. I couldn't maybe I expected myself to be the midwife actually and know what to do and know, okay, we need to start this medication. But again, I, I hadn't had a lot of experience with it because we don't tend to see women until they're, you know, eighteen much weeks. further along. Yeah. yeah. And it was such a hard time because I think one of the biggest things was feeling lonely and isolated and lost in it. And mm. it's like you're almost separate from everyone else because you're feeling so sick all the time. And there was just no relief from it unless I was asleep. Did you sleep well or were you were you actually vomiting frequently or did you just feel terrible constantly? Yeah. So I was lucky with the medication, it did manage my vomiting. Yes. So, but the nausea, nothing touched the sides of the nausea, like that 24-7 gastro sickness. And that's- I can't even imagine that feeling because I felt pretty unwell for 16 weeks, but nothing like HG. So I genuinely can't imagine how bad that must feel. Yeah, but that's still bad, listening to, and I think- and that's what I think is important for women to know that it's not just you might have had HG. Like we don't know. It's so underdiagnosed. And even with nausea and vomiting of pregnancy, it's still very debilitating. And a lot of people say that to me, but I, and then they'll tell me how they were sick. And I think, well, yours was really bad too. Like yeah. I think it's just because it's common, we think it's normal. Yeah. And I did that for a while too. I think... I didn't really know what to do. I felt like I had to keep working, but everybody knew I was pregnant because I looked mm. like death and as they just had to look at me. And it, it, But then it got to the point where I couldn't. It was just I physically couldn't go to work. And I did sleep well because of one of the medications that I had, um, but then I'd often wake up at night and those really lonely hours in the nighttime where you're oh. feeling nauseous. And I couldn't. I couldn't even stand the smell of my husband. 
Oh, His wow. smell repulsed me. Like, yeah. poor Jim, he doesn't have a body Did you sleep thing. in a different room? Yes, he got <laughs> kicked out and we were renovating. So he spent most of my pregnancy in the swag, in the lounge room. So. Oh, that is brilliant. <laughs> but That's I, dedication. I, Good on you, Jim. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but I often think is that what's the, you know, what's the evolutionary reason behind not yeah. wanting to smell your husband? Maybe it's like he's done his job and now he <laughs> needs to go Isn't away and like, Protect. And just let you sort of <laughs> just, relax and grow. Yeah, that's right. So how did, Sweet. I guess in a lot of ways, I'm not trying to dim your experience because it would still be really hard. Yeah. But I guess in a lot of ways, being a midwife and in a hospital system perhaps helped in terms of flexibility, but still you need an income. Yes. You need to, and you probably just want to work. You don't want to sit on your couch all day feeling like shit. No. Talk us through, I guess, the logistics and the emotions around when you actually started to work less and how that all played out. Yeah, yeah. And so I had a lot of sick leave. So I think from, yeah, even those first few weeks, I really couldn't work because I would have been vomiting everywhere and that's not helpful. Um, So did you just have to call in sick every day? I just had to call in sick and eventually I told my boss and they were really great actually. Um, and really supportive and even when I went back to work so yeah lots of sick leave I was really lucky and again it's such a barrier for people seeking early treatment which is really important for HG and nausea and vomiting in pregnancy we let it go on for too long because we think it's normal Mm. and then we miss that uh, that chance to treat it aggressively and um, get on top of it and try and reduce the severity so Um, And I'd learned that second time around, but I was working in the antenatal clinic at the time I was in, I think I was doing a continuity of care program. And so I would actually, sometimes I would have a bag of fluids in the office there, or I'd see, you know, one of the doctors would see me then and they looked after me so beautifully. And even my colleagues, they were just amazing. And so I had regular fluids. I, they organized hospital in the home for me. So oh, wow. I had a drip in and I would get fluids every second day, I think it was, or two to three times a week, um, which was life-saving. It, it makes such a difference. I always say to anyone, if you think that you need fluids, you're probably already past the point of needing them. So please go in and get some fluids. Sometimes the attitudes of care providers is not great and people can feel like oh it's just morning sickness or you know which is a ridiculous term anyway yeah um but yes so I had fluids I had a good medication regime and you really need more than just your anti-nausea medication with HG and even severe nausea and vomiting because it needs a multi-layered approach so I, I had that and then with work I there was a period of I don't think I went back until I was maybe 16 weeks. Wow. So you really would like spend about 10 to 12 weeks just I did on your couch. That must have been so mentally and emotionally challenging. It really was. And I can still picture myself, it's almost like an out-of-body experience one day sitting in the garden in at my house in the front yard and just sitting outside on a chair. And I like I can see her. And it even makes me a bit, yeah, emotional to think about because I was just so lost in the sickness and, yeah, it was emotionally so challenging and I definitely had some PTSD, I think, which I don't mean to use lightly, but 
Yeah, it definitely. No, that level of sickness me. does just definitely perpetuate PTSD. Not that I'm a professional, yes. but like <laughs> I think that's either. a very fair response to a stressful situation. Absolutely. When it came to finances, did you just have to accept? that your life would look a little bit, I mean, I guess you weren't doing anything anyway, but did you just have to make some minor adjustments because there was just one income coming in for a bit of time there, I imagine? Yeah, definitely. And yeah, we were lucky, obviously, because Jim had had a job and was, you know, able to, you know, pay our mortgage and all of that. Um, and I wasn't really eating much, so not much of a food bill. And I didn't really <laughs> let him cook anything for a long period yeah. of time. So And you weren't going um, out to do anything social, I wasn't I imagine. doing anything. Um, but, yeah, it was stressful in that way too because, you know, that's a long time and I used up all my sick leave. And even now that still impacts me because I still don't have any sick leave and I, and I work more casually now, but... Like it was in the negatives. So. <laughs> and you're also preparing for a financially expensive time. What? Yes. So, and that just lay, you know, that's another layer on your stress. And we know stress can make that, you know, HG worse. So, yeah, it was tricky. And my family was amazing and my sister and my friends, but it's hard. No one can really fix it for you. They can just support you. With work, I, I when I did go back at around 16 weeks, I did shorter shifts. So I did six-hour shifts, which was much more manageable because, you know, it is, it can be, it's quite fast-paced. You're on your feet. And yeah, I, even, I remember one day being in the birth room and they were so wonderful that usually I wouldn't be looking, be working on the birth suite because of that intensity. And, but one day I happened to be and, and the lady I was looking after started vomiting and I had one of my beautiful friends in the room and I knew if she started, I would start. And so my friend looked, took one look at me and I must've been green or probably really pale. And (laughs) she just looked across and said, I've got you, Rhett, go, <laughs> run Off to the pan room. <laughs> Lots of time in the pan room um, vomiting, which is is awful. And I, we shouldn't normalise that, that that's no. okay. Like it's it's so many of my friends and colleagues have, have experienced it's the stability. same thing. And... So did your HG last throughout your entire pregnancy? No, I was really lucky. It did ease from, I think it was from about 16 weeks it started to ease and then definitely a little bit more around 20 weeks. Yeah. And it did, if I was really tired or run down, it, like sometimes I, often after work, it would be bad again for a couple of days, but then it would go away with rest and keeping on top of fluids and all of that. And towards, I did feel like it, it came back a little bit more when I was closer to actually giving birth, but um, but not in the same way at all. That's like really it was interesting, actually. Better. I've been feeling a little bit more sick lately and I could not figure out why. Yes, That's some people very do. Interesting. Very manageable, but just feeling a little bit nauseous and like I don't know what I want to eat and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Really interesting. Maybe that's the same. So how did you plan for maternity leave? What did that look like for you? Were you going to take a year off? What was that like? I had planned we I wanted to take at least a year and so I think I did the so the government leave at half pay um just to make it longer make it last longer and practice living off less um as well as yeah my hospital maternity leave which I think 
oh, this is really bad, but I can't remember exactly how long it was. I think it's paid for three months. I think I did that at half pay as well to extend it. So I can't remember exactly how long. And then after that, I decided I wanted to do another year and just work casually. So I was really lucky that you can extend it for another year, but go back as a casual. So yeah, so I did that about a year after I had Pippa. And I've taken you a little bit forward. So I'm going to take you a little bit back. Pippa came into the world about seven years ago now. And you said that as a midwife, you felt like a failure because you had a really unsettled baby. Tell us about those early motherhood days. Yeah, my beautiful little Pip. She, we had a really, obviously a really tough pregnancy and had a great birth experience, but breastfeeding was really hard. You know, I had pain from that very first feed and what turned out to be, which we wouldn't know until about six months of age, that she had a tongue tie. And so I had issues with supply and pain. Did that catch a midwife off guard? Yeah, it did. I think I'd always had this fear about it that I wouldn't, I would have, might have trouble with that. I don't know why. Well, you would. I feel like like you've watched so much birth and, and you put so much yeah. pressure on yourself and it's what you professionally do. So I understand Absolutely. that. Yeah, it, it is. It's this, It's a really interesting thing, I think, with midwives and going into birth themselves and then postpartum. Meet the teddy bears this autumn winter with Ergo Pouch's new limited edition Pouch Tales collection. I've been lucky enough to have a sneak peek and I am loving the retro-inspired chocolate and lilac picnic print and the party print that features pops of colour on a neutral base. These gorgeous new styles sit alongside their signature heritage prints with the addition of a new 3.5 tog cocoon swaddle bag. Perfect for those extra cold winter nights, which we all have ahead of us here in Australia. This autumn and winter, I'll sleep easy knowing that my newborn posy will be kitted out in the best, most comfortable sleepwear there is. Head to ergopouch.com.au to shop the new autumn winter range, available from tomorrow. And I did, she, her latch was not great and I didn't know how to fix it. I had, you know, I had lactation consultants trying to help, but it was really tough and I still remember it must have been we'd been back to the hospital and she'd lost more weight and, you know, that moment where my beautiful colleague said to me, you need to top her up with formula and I have no judgment for anyone that uses formula. It is absolutely fine, like whatever works for you. But for me, I put so much pressure on myself for her not to have formula And that was the start of that sense of failure. I'm already failing. I can't make enough milk for her. You know, I'm, I'm letting her down. And, and that sort of continued because she, so obviously the feeding was hard. She had too much weight loss. And then she also ended up having some intolerances, which meant that her sleep was really affected and she, she just needed to be close. And so for the first year, I think she like she'd never go in the pram or down in her um, bassinet or 
she had to be worn in the carrier for every sleep. So I spent most of that first year, I got super fit because I was walking every day, not recommended. Please don't do that, (laughs) especially early postpartum. But she was just so unsettled because of her little tummy was upset and probably the tongue tie. So I constantly felt like a failure because I couldn't fix her sleep. You know, she she seemed to be in pain a lot. And I imagine you were like, I'm a midwife. Why can't I fix this? Yeah, and that was a huge thing. Like, why can't I figure this out? When really we only get that glimpse into yeah, that you're only, first you're only six weeks. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not like we're, I'm not an, I'd never done it before. And, yeah. and I just want to go back and give that first time mummy a big hug and tell her that, it's not you. It's actually, you know, there's other things going on, but it's also her temperament. And now I know her. I know the little person that she is. And I know that, you know, she her dad lies with her every night to go to sleep. And, you know, and that's just what she needs. And I do think if I'd known what I know now, that would have helped. But we can't, can we? That's just no. how it Hindsight, is. Hey? Hindsight, hey? It's beautiful and frustrating. <laughs> So you then extended that maternity leave. Was part of that because maternity leave had felt a bit stressful for a while? Was it sort of like you found your rhythm in motherhood and then you didn't quite want to return to work yet or not want to return in a more permanent way? Yeah, I did. I I wanted that freedom to be with her more, but I really struggled. Again, this was putting my like the shoulds on myself which I tell everyone else not to but we're really not good at taking our own advice as in I felt like I wanted to be a stay-at-home mum because my mum was a stay-at-home mum and I was so lucky to have that and I a big part of me really grappled with well I think that's what I want I shouldn't want to go back to work this should be enough for me yeah like why isn't that enough And I know now that, of course, that's okay. And I actually needed work and it was good for me. But it was a real, yeah, it was a a real struggle between what I thought I should want and what I actually wanted and what actually worked for me. That's really interesting because as a midwife, I imagine there's that extra layer of almost a similarity between motherhood and midwifery, even though they're so different, where you probably thought, well, you've been a midwife and now you can be a mother. But it's like, well, that doesn't really take away from wanting a professional life. But I imagine it almost feels like the natural progression if you did sort of have those ideas that you should be a stay-at-home mum. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. that's a really interesting connection, isn't it, between because it's so closely related in yeah. be caring for someone and supporting them and and then being a mum yourself. Like I can see how that would be the next step for a lot, but then you're like, oh, no, I actually love the professional side of it. Yeah. So you did say to me when we were speaking over email that you were nervous about returning to work and quite stressed about it. Was the stress mostly around this grappling with the shoulds or was it also just that idea of how on earth is this going to work? Yeah, I think a a bit of both. I think that the idea of the separation and the typical mum guilt that we feel that I'm much better with now and feel much less of now, that, yeah, the idea of being away from her and thinking, well, yeah, leaving her to go and do something for me, um, I grappled with that. But then, yeah, also how will that work? And I was still breastfeeding and... 
you know, all of those things as well as, yeah, I remember on my, must've been one of my first shifts back and just being in the tea room, putting my lunch in the fridge and thinking, I think I was talking to one of my, one of my friends and just thinking, wow, like, how do I actually do this job now when I'm holding being a mum yeah. as at the same time as trying to be a midwife and remember that other part of me? Like, how do I hold both together at the same time? Because I might look the same on the outside, but everything within me has changed. So how will I actually hold all of that together and do that? And speaking of the similarities of motherhood and midwifery, you're giving so much care at home. It must be quite challenging to also give so much care at work. Such a good point, Lucinda. And that's something I've really noticed as well, that it's almost like compassion fatigue. Yes. And, you know, because you give so much to your children in, you know, when they're having that meltdown and you're trying to hold space for those big feelings. And I have really struggled with that in that I love that caring role, but as a mum and and then doing that professionally in what I do in the hospital and, and in my own business, it can be exhausting and I have to be really mindful of that because it can tip the balance over to burnout really I've never easily. really appreciated that until right now. I, I don't know how I'd go with doing a caring role in a work environment as well as at home. That's a lot to take on. It is. So you were quite nervous in the lead up, but then when the return to paid work played out, I think you enjoyed it a lot more than you thought you would. Tell us about that. Yeah, I really did. And, you know, it took a while because, you know, to get my confidence back and find my groove again, because it, like I said, it can be quite fast paced. Things change quickly. You know, the birthing process is doesn't change necessarily, but all those things around it, the paperwork, new colleagues. So getting my head around all of that. And I still feel like, yeah, my brain is obviously, it's changed. We know that all of these brain changes happen, but I feel like I'm, you know, I used to be so, feel like I, I was onto it. I was, you know, I could be efficient and I'm definitely not that that kind of midwife anymore. Um, but once I did find that confidence again, I loved it. And I don't mean that it was always easy, you know, there's, it was always hard doing drop-offs and managing shift work and night shifts and all of that stuff, but it felt like freedom and it felt like a sense of spaciousness for me. Yeah. And it was actually really good for my mental health and being around my colleagues and working, doing the thing that I loved. It actually, it was a really positive thing and that it was okay to to actually know that the thing I thought I should want or should do, it wasn't right for me. And I, I needed that. I needed something just for me. And it, that's if it is right for you, then that's great. But it was just when I actually did it, yeah, it was a really positive thing. Yeah. And so you were quite nervous about becoming pregnant again, given yeah. how much of your pregnancy was so, un- well, not unenjoyable. I don't want to, I mean, I'm sure oh, it yeah. didn't feel great. <laughs> it was. Unenjoyable. Vomiting every, yeah, a lot is not great <laughs> for 20 weeks. So you, yeah, you were quite nervous. How did you prepare mentally and emotionally and even perhaps physically for that the second time around? Yeah, I was much more mindful of trying to correct that depletion and I learned a lot. I, you know, I discovered Dr. Oscar Serilac and his 
amazing book, The Postnatal Depletion Cure, I think it's called. Yes, yep. Um, and worked with a naturopath. Um, I was having acupuncture and, you know, got all my bloods done to make sure that, you know, I wasn't deficient because I wanted to go into this second pregnancy as well and healthy and robust as I could, knowing that it was highly likely that I would have HG again. And yes. it's something like, I think it's around an 80% chance that if you've had HG, you will have it again. So I, I'd also had um, support from a psychologist and was in touch with her, especially knowing, you know, the emotional challenge that might come up again. And even the emotions around trying again, it's like, in a way, we couldn't consciously go, okay, let's try for another baby because I would never have been ready. Yes. If that makes sense. Because I, I knew I was scared. I was really scared that it would happen again. And were you scared about early motherhood too because you had a lot of stress tied up in, I'm sure there was many beautiful moments, but there was a lot of stress and unsettlement. I don't even know if that's yeah, what tied up it. in it. So was that a part of the fear as well? Yeah, that's so true. I think it, w- it was a little bit, but it was more the pregnancy. It was Just, more that first hurdle. It was more that, and I think Pip was nearly... Well, when I had Daisy, she was nearly three and I felt like I'd, you know, I'd found more confidence in motherhood. I mean, I was still a hot mess a lot of the time, but not (laughs) as much as I was, you know, in the early But you were your own version of a hot mess. Like you, you know what I mean? You find your own brand of it. (laughs) Right. And not as much as I had been in that first year, perhaps because things had settled and, you know, we'd, we'd figured out our own way of, I'd found my own rhythm, I suppose. So I think it was more knowing that I'd have to get through a pregnancy with another child, more so than worrying about the parenting. And I think because of those challenges that I'd had with her, I'd also learned a lot and I'd learned what I would do differently the next time with, you know, making sure I had more support um, and we got onto things quicker and and so how did pregnancy with Daisy go you're a mother this time so there's that extra layer yeah well this time I'd also made sure that I had scripts ready to go for medication which is really important because we know that that you know the earlier you start even prophylactically the better it will be I mean I'm not saying that it won't still be really hard and um, so I had that ready to go but yeah it was very similar it hit yeah, around around the six-ish week mark again. Um, initially, though, because I hadn't felt sick and had done a pregnancy test, and I thought, oh, maybe this time will be better. And, yeah, about a week later, I think it was, yeah, it was back. <laughs> and did you stop paid work again? Yeah, yep, same thing again. So I, yeah, I had a long period of time where I wasn't wasn't able to work um, and pretty similarly, I th- although I think because I'd gotten onto it quicker, I had gotten fluids and everything medication-wise, it probably wasn't as severe, I don't think, because, I, because of that earlier management. Um, so I was, yeah, lucky in that way. Um, but just, yeah, obviously the logistics of managing it with, with my little Pip. And how many days of care was she in at this point? Point. Did you have a few days a week where you could just literally lie horizontal? I think she was in two days of care. 
yes, so thank God for that. And then I'd have, my mum would often have her if I needed. So, yeah, in that way, practically it was a lot harder. But in some ways it was almost a bit, almost a bit less lonely because, and it kind of, because I had to get up for her, even though. It like had to make your focus about someone else rather than just feeling miserable in yourself. Yeah. So maybe that was not a bad thing. Yeah. But even, you know, things like trying to make her food. So Jim would have to make her food for the day before he left. Wow. And, you know, because I I really struggled to make, look at any food for a long time. So that was hard. And obviously, and she was still in nappies, I think. Yeah. Oh, so there was no getting around that one. <laughs> you have to change some of those nappies. <laughs> oh, Can you just out. hold that food till your dad gets Please, home? <laughs> don't do it now. Did you have any sense of feeling dramatic and like you needed to justify or explain how you were feeling? Because I know sometimes when I was having my more off days, especially because my pregnancy with Ray was relatively mild in terms of nausea. I just had like a mild hangover feeling for a little bit, but nothing wild. I felt like surely deep down Hayden thinks I'm a drama queen. You know, he he did it too. But I felt like I had to be like, oh, I know this looks ridiculous, but I honestly feel X, Y, or Z. He didn't care. But I felt like I needed to justify just how bad I was feeling. Did you have any sense of that or was it just so obvious that you weren't feeling good? (laughs) No, I I can so relate to that. And I think especially when when you're seeing medical care providers or even some days, yeah, people might say, oh, you don't look too bad today. Or I was having this same conversation with a lady on a client at the moment and she also has HG and it's like people think because you're maybe out of the house or functioning in some baseline way that you're not that sick yeah and I definitely I felt that a lot especially with work again because that's our area and we see women who are sick all the time and and sometimes there is that awful view of oh they're just they're just you know they're just not coping well, I just, just got on with it I felt a bit sick but that, I got on with it that, yes. <laughs> oh I, I vomited through my whole pregnancy and I kept going and it's yeah that's not a well, good thing you probably thing. shouldn't well, have you probably shouldn't have and let's not make you know make that out, make it out that that's something that's, heroic. that's healthy and that's her- heroic exactly yeah. because it's not yeah. helpful it's not helping other women they just feel worse because they think I'm just not coping or and I and speaking of being in care work too it's like you're not giving your best as a midwife if you're vomiting every five seconds no and I I felt that at the start that maybe it's just me maybe I'm just a bit crap at pregnancy yeah but actually it was HD (laughs) yeah it was an actual reason yeah (laughs) and in amongst all this you studied in birth education and you've started your own business did that come after or before Daisy? And tell us all about that. Yeah. So being a midwife and meeting people in, you know, on their birthing day, there's only so much you can do to help provide them with birth education. And and I'd really see how, you know, when people hadn't done any preparation or education, how that could impact them, especially coming into the hospital system and knowing that they were able to opt in or out of things or, you know, advocate for themselves and even just know what their options would be. And also there's so much fear around birth 
And we know how that impacts the body physically and how that can impact your labor and birth. So I wanted to do more before I met people. And I did a calm birth course before I had Pippa and absolutely loved it. And it just added so much to my knowledge and skills that I could then use for my own birth, but also for those I was looking after. And I just thought, I have to teach this. I love this. You know, we need more of this holistic side of things, not just this is what happens and here's your pain relief options because there's a whole lot more that we can do and that you can do to prepare your mind and your body. So I did that for a couple of years after I had Daisy and that was nice because I had like my own thing when I was on maternity leave. Yeah. So that was really, really positive for me. So even though I was, wasn't was at the hospital, I was doing birth education classes. Yeah. And, yeah, I, and through COVID over Zoom. So I love doing that. And now, yeah, I've created my own course and I do in-person and group classes um, for, yeah, people in Ballarat or wherever people are online. And so how does the online program work? So you purchase the class and then it's all um, over eight modules and little bite-sized videos that takes you through everything um, from, you know, things you can do in pregnancy to what's happening in labor and birth, working with it, all the mindset stuff, all the birth skills that you might want to use. And we even go into a bit about postnatal, um, like postpartum planning and preparing for after the birth. And there's printables, so you can print the workbook and hopefully have some conversations with your partner or your care provider um, as you go through, jot things down. And there's lots of printable resources for your, your labor bag so that you, if you forget things, you can um, refer back. So Amazing. How did you pull it all together? Did you find that? Was that a huge project? Oh, yes. <laughs> so much huger than I ever expected. Yeah. It took so much longer than what I thought. It was yeah. massive. When you're your own boss and you have kids and there's so much going on, how did you actually stay on track and get this thing finished? Oh, that's such a good question. I did. It was probably about six months of working on it most weekends and most evenings once the kids will go to bed. So I don't, I, because I balance a few different hats and work at the hospital and also I do needling. So I don't have a lot of like a full day to do that, you know, that deep concentrating work that you often need for editing. So it took, it was a lot and a lot for our family too, because, you know, Jim was doing working and doing a lot of the parenting while I did that. That's a perfect segue because you say that you and Jim have found a really nice flow in sharing the load. Firstly, did this take much work? And secondly, what was it like beforehand and what does it look like now? So it's definitely been something that's, it, it's evolved, I think, the you know, the longer we've been parents for, hopefully you get better at it as you go. But yeah, I feel like we're really good teammates in parenting and and that wasn't always the case and earlier on because I sort of adopted that primary carer role because he you know he was the main income provider and then I was on maternity leave it probably did come out of some resentment actually because once I went back to work and started running my own business 
I was struggling to hold it all together and the mental load. You forget load, to drop some balls and to share do. things because on mat leave you sort of yes. do a lot of it. You do. And it was never that he had said you have to do all the cooking and the cleaning and it was never a, a conscious thing but it was it was just that we didn't assign the roles. We didn't actually consciously talk about, okay, what what are your roles? What are my roles? And because you're at home, as so often happens, you end up taking on the majority of that because that, and I suppose for me, that almost came like, became my work and my productivity. And again, trying to find that value because we yeah, know. Yeah, because you can't measure yourself in motherhood. So it's like, oh, that was dirty and now it's clean and I can see what I've done. Yes, yeah. and I've got dinner in the slow cooker and I've cleaned yeah. a house and so I've Done been the food productive. Shop, the fridge is full. Yeah, yes, I totally that, understand that. That sense of achievement because, yeah, which is we crazy. need to see something for it, which is sad, but we've been taught that's, that way. We have. <laughs> that's, the, that's the struggle, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, once we actually sat down, it was probably a year or two ago that we sat down and wrote down all the things that I was doing and that he was doing and then we delegated. So now he has his role and I have mine and he has his things that he's responsible for and that I'm, you know, I know that I have those other set things. So it mostly works well, but, I, you know, you have to, I, I think you really have to let go in that maybe they don't do it the way you do, but often the, so he's, he does the washing is one of his jobs Often the the laundry, you cannot see the floor. There'll be five, six loads in there, but I just try and walk away. I come I come home from drop off, go to my office and try to ignore it and and just let him do it. And, you know, maybe the school admin some things get missed and we forget certain special days or events. But I think overall we are a really good team and we do we tag team a lot because often my work will for example, if I do a late shift at the hospital, you know, he does the get home from work, dinner, bedtime. And so, yeah, he's always been more than capable of doing that. But I think the fact that I'm absent has probably helped that because he's just had to. And yeah, so it, it works it, it works pretty well most of the time. I mean, there's, we're not perfect by any means. <laughs> always a work in progress. It's, it's always it? a constant conversation, I think, in yeah. what's working and what's not working. And you don't always have time or energy to have those conversations. Oh, that's that's the tricky thing. It's been like, we should talk about this, but I'm but too tired. Or I want to watch, watch Netflix. Show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So my last question, Loretta, I've loved talking to you. You're very passionate about the birth space. If you had a really busy, corporate-minded mother that perhaps hadn't thought too much about birth, what would be the biggest piece of advice you'd give someone like that? I know it's really hard when you're really busy and, you know, going into this season of life. But I think I would say one piece is really hard to listen up. Go for as many as <laughs> you like. I will try. I, I always stun people with that. <laughs> so <laughs> many things. Um, I think just remembering that obviously having a baby and it deserves your time and your investment and and maybe that might not look like you do a full weekend birth class or anything like that, but yeah, remember that although birth might be one day, it does have the potential to impact your life. Um, yeah. So for the rest of your life, and we know the difference that preparation can make. So 
try and find some time to do that and maybe prioritizing education over things you know we course a, a beautiful nursery is lovely but maybe just trying to prioritize some some education and preparation because it's a real investment in in you and your partner and your baby and maybe even if it's not formal education I think listen to podcasts you know in your on your commute or on when you go for a walk listen to some birth stories you know there's so many great podcasts out there and it's just yeah or find an online course like mine you could listen yeah. to that um, <laughs> sorry, that's, that's cheeky isn't it no um, plug it away <laughs> but I think yeah I hear so often people that I see they've had their first birth and they come to do education the second time around and I I hear so often that that line of I wish I'd known it's so hard without the hindsight isn't it's it so too. hard it's hard to know that you need it it really is you don't know what you don't know and and I don't want your first birth to be a trial run because we know that yeah it, it matters so however you want to birth but just know that yeah, it's try and take charge of it and it's a really important life event so it deserves some time and, and dedication. Loretta, I've loved hearing your story and I've loved chatting to you. If people want to find you online, where do they go? Thank you so much for having me, Lucinda. I love chatting to you and I love what you've done with this podcast and your other podcast and Thank you. making space for these conversations which weren't around when I first went through my um, motherhood and going back to work. No, oh, you've been actually but, a very you know, big supporter, so very grateful. <laughs> Number one, big fan you. girl. <laughs> but you can find me I'm on Instagram as at Midwife Loretta and my website is midwifeloretta.com.au. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Lucinda. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.